Welcome to The Hidden World of Women, a podcast brought to you by Women's Health and Wellbeing Services. My name is Emma and I'll be your host for today's episode. Hello, hello, hello. Today I'm joined by actually our online learning coordinator for Hidden World of You. I'm joined by Kate. Kate is an uh, all-round amazing woman in general. She is a mum of two beautiful children, a wife, a daughter, a sister, an auntie, and did I mention that she's absolutely fantastic and I'm very appreciative of her being here to speak with me today. Kate, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Emma. Thanks for having me. So if you happen to hear a previous episode which was um, around perinatal mental health and it uh, was two people sharing their stories of their experiences with perinatal mental health, that was recorded at our PNDA symposium and Kate emceed that event. And throughout the whole event, Kate, Kate kept saying, do you want to hear my birth story? <laughs> I'll share my birth story. And um, it sort of became a bit of a running joke. And then today uh, we've had somebody who has not turned up for their interview. And so Kate is saving me by being um, a guest for our podcast. And part of that will be finally sharing the birth story. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Uh, so, and I think it's it's useful, I think one of the things that we learned as part of that symposium was that actually people's birth stories really impact, they impact them, they impact who they are as a person and they impact who they are as a parent as well. Massively. I think when Valerie spoke, even though I've had two births of my own and I know my own story, it wasn't until I heard the way Valerie explained that that I realised how much of a difference that makes to the rest of our story and going on that adventure of being a mum, um, that that initial starting out, that birth story really does determine a lot more than I initially had thought about. So why do you think that is? I think, especially for your first birth, it just shapes, you immediately change. Mm. You go from being Kate, not a mum, mm. to this person that you just experience something that you no amount of reading books or people telling you what it's like can actually explain it to you. And I wish that if I had known to speak about it more, maybe with my midwives and doctors, that then my next steps into motherhood may have felt a little bit more confident or a little more settled. I think I really, you go from being pregnant and, you, you know, you know that that's what's coming. You're going to have to give birth. It's inevitable. That's it's what you yeah. have to do. It's got to come out one yes, way or the other, right? you be pregnant for the rest of your life. Which that last month feels like you're going to be pregnant forever anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but then you go so quickly from this massive experience physically to right now I'm mum and I've got to feed this baby and not sleep anymore and all of those things. Whereas if that happened in any other situation, you know, um, and your body went through something, I'm going to say traumatic, I know it's a beautiful and amazing, but it's a huge thing to happen. Mm. It's the only experience in life where I can think you wouldn't, address it yeah you know you just if you had a car accident you talk about the car accident how that made you feel yeah not that I'm comparing giving birth to an accident but <laughs> in a lot of ways you know your body physically changes yeah um so I wish that I'd given that a bit more thought or even I um my children were born uh via Caesar hmm. and my mum not not too not too long before I had my first baby, she'd had to have a hysterectomy. Mm. And because of the reasons behind that, she'd had to have basically the same surgery as a caesarean but as a hysterectomy. Yeah. So it wasn't keyhole. They, you know, basically wow. cut her across and, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. She had six weeks off work. Mm. as, And then, you know, so I remember that 
she, her and dad would walk around the house every day as part of her exercise, but yeah. he waited on her hand and foot. Yeah. I had a Caesar <laughs> and I was on my own looking and after a child. Second or third baby. Yeah. Now, I read that baby, that toddler's there as well. That That's you're it. After. And, you know, yeah. exactly, because mm. when you've got your first one, they do sleep, hopefully, fingers crossed, touch yeah. wood, they sleep for some of the time. You mm. get to rest, but when you've got a second or third mm. that you're running around after the older ones as well. Yeah. There's no time to rest after having a Caesar. Exactly. So, um, and, you know, that's it's a very different kind of thing. But just as you were talking, I was like, yeah, that's true. Yeah. All of this attention that yeah. she got, whereas for me it was like, oh, well, suck it up. Yeah, yeah babies look after now. See, if you're lucky, you get a few nights in the hospital. But, you know, then even that, you're home, you're straight into it. Right, how yeah. do I, you know, A, B and C do yeah. all the next things that come with that? So... Going back to that, now you had you have two children mm -hmm. and you had two very different births Usually with those different. children. Yeah. And the interesting thing is for me as a control freak, <laughs> I'm only learning how much of a control freak I am since becoming a mother. My first birth was actually far more dangerous for me and my baby, but my second birth was far more traumatic for me, ah. for the doctors and my husband and my mum who were in the room. They say they have such a different perspective on it. So my first birth, um, I've got big babies. They were um, 4.4 and 4.3 kilos. Oh, my God. Yeah, so big babies. Um, and my son, my first birth was, what's back-to-back? -back? Posterior. Posterior. So, you know. That is so painful. Oh, so painful. Mm -hmm. And um, epidural that didn't work, all of the things that you are sure people say you have an epidural doesn't work I'm like no that won't be me it will work I know it will work all of that sort of stuff um, but it took a long time mm. so everything felt gradual and I felt I didn't realize at the time I felt in control of it but it didn't feel rushed yeah so even though I um, had to push a long time and then was um, I had some assistance so I had to have an episiotomy and he was vacuumed out for me I saw the doctor there I had, knew I had lots of nurses I yeah. felt like oh everyone knows what's going on I'm being held here. I'm being held, yeah. right? So I'm just going to leave this to the experts. A lot of pain, all that sort of stuff. But I actually, I remember the feeling of my son being put on my chest. You can't say that without getting emotional. I know. Like, oh, yeah. God. Um, but I remember that feeling and me just And going, he's nearly nine now. He's nearly nine. And still yeah. the, that moment of having them put on your chest. Oh, it's like still. Like it was this morning. Yeah. Like it was this morning. And just this feeling of it'll be okay. Mm. He's okay. Um, hugely powerful, but... I remember looking at my husband who is, you know, a gentle giant, all of those things, but tears in his mm. eyes. My mum, I remember her just disappearing for a period of time, which turns out now was her going, you need to get a doctor in here because ah. something's not right. Um, so a lot of pushing ended up with a fractured tailbone because oh I was my God. pushing for so long. All of those things that afterwards I go, oh, yeah, okay, I can <laughs> see why they were worried. Um, but for me, there was time, so it didn't. I didn't realise quite what was going on. Yeah. Um, Whereas my second daughter, which, again, should have been, I should have known, she was a cyclone. She was born a cyclone. <laughs> um, I went from being at home to, oh, I don't want to, you know, drop my son off too early. I don't want to put people out. So I think we dropped him off at about 6 o'clock. By about 10 o'clock, I went, yeah, we should probably go to hospital. Um, I think we got to the hospital at 11 and by quarter to one, I delivered her. Oh. So it just felt there was no, they put a thing in my hand to see if I could have an epidural to do yeah. a test for that. They butchered that. So my hand was fat and swollen. And oh. then I remember just saying, I have to push. I have to push. Like I still had my 
tights on that I kind of lost <laughs> And it was just, to me, it was horrific. And I was yelling at the doctor saying, you know, you're going to have to cut, you're going to have to do all of those things. And that, that I don't know if it's trauma, but that memory that I wasn't expecting came back from my first delivery. Mm. And I remember the doctor saying to me, no, you're not going to have to do that. It's all okay. We've got it under control. But having experienced that the first time, it was a very interesting reaction that I had. Um, so same thing. I delivered her. She was put onto my chest, but I did not have that feeling of, calm I was shaking my whole body was shaking I was given two Panadol for the afterbirth pains and I just, <laughs> I just thought what has happened what has happened and I was hoping, how much do you think those two Panadol helped yeah. oh, they would have helped 50 minutes before when I was you know not getting an epidural because it happened so quickly um and I just think that you know I ended up um I just didn't feel calm I didn't feel that sense of ease. I was home after 12 hours. Yeah. So, you know, I left at 5 p.m. and by 12 lunchtime the next day I was back home. Um, and, you know, there's lots of things that happened with the second child, but I slept very differently. Well, I didn't sleep. And I think, you know, then that turned into postnatal anxiety. And I wonder now, after hearing Valerie speak, if I'd been more aware of the impact of my birth, mm. would that have changed things? I always thought I'd have more children, yeah. but after that I still say, no, I couldn't do that again. But I wonder, so as much as it was your second labour that, that you felt you were spinning out of control, mm. do you think some of that was because it was left over from the first? Definitely. And you hadn't realised that you'd no, experienced that? Nobody had taken time to actually talk. And, you know, that thought of you fractured your tailbone. Mm. Did you have any support for that after you had no, him? No, I had to go to the doctor to say, look, I can't sit down. <laughs> Happening. And so then they did the x-rays and said, oh, yeah, there's a fracture in there. So we'll put some cortisone in there. But I still to this day have yeah. issues where I go, oh, I've been sitting on that. Or I'll yeah. see certain types of chairs and go, no, nah, can't <laughs> sit on that chair for too long. But, but these are the things that we don't talk about for oh, motherhood. Exactly, you know, yeah. people talk about that after you have a baby, you may experience light bladder leakage or something like that. You invite me to bounce yeah. and I am feeling nervous. And like you said, <laughs> my oldest is nine. Like why is that not yeah. light bladder leakage is not what it is it's not explained you know like everyone's different but I just think some of the things that should be conversations are just really brushed over quite quickly and even with that um it is an episode that I'm hoping to do as a future episode for the podcast that you know there are physios and women's physios that mm. you can go to to try and support but there's just this normalization of light bladder leakage whatever that means for different people yeah which for some people is light bladder leakage and for other people they, you know, I was talking to someone the other day and um, she was saying, I used to teach belly dancing going back quite a while ago and she had experienced incontinence mm. since her child was born and she came to my classes when she was in her 60s. Yep. So she'd had incontinence for about 40 years and she didn't, when she was coming to classes, she said all of a sudden she started to, you know, her continence started to improve. Mm. She didn't think that that had been possible. But because of coming to belly dancing and some of the different exercises mm. that we were doing, that kind of thing, all of a sudden it started to improve. Nobody had told her that it was possible for that to improve. Exactly. I started working at Women's Health when my youngest, I think, was just under 12 months. And I honestly think if I hadn't started working here, I wouldn't have had the conversations around postnatal anxiety. Mm that I have had as a result of working with psychologists and counsellors every day and going, oh, okay, yeah. maybe I don't need to feel like that. And where we do talk about these kinds of yeah, things it's, openly. It's and conversation. Yeah. 
um, a hallway conversation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's so, it, because it isn't behind closed doors. No. We will talk. Yeah, I mean, unfortunate for people who come in, we will talk about anything, oh, anywhere. Anything. I'll stand <laughs> on the stage and offer to tell my bad story. <laughs> <laughs> um, 100%. And I think that, yeah, those conversations, like my um, obstetrician for the second birth, after I said to him, after I'd had, had delivered my, uh, my daughter, I said to him, I was so shocked, I didn't expect that reaction. And he acknowledged that he knew that that was going to be a strong reaction for me. And he's a beautiful doctor, but I think to myself, why don't you tell why me? Didn't we have these conversations when I was pregnant. Yeah. Mm. And I think it's a it's a hard line, you know, when you're talking to somebody who's pregnant. I I guess I probably share a lot more than perhaps other women may share because of you know I've been working in women's yeah. health for 18 years. So you know I was talking to somebody who she's due to have a baby in kind of any day and was talking about kind of the bleeding that happens after you yeah. have a baby. And she was like, what? Yeah. Nobody told me about that. Yeah. And she's like, oh, thank goodness you told me. I would have thought I was dying. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, knew that it might happen while she was in the hospital, but not that it could last for weeks afterwards. Exactly. And, and if you know that that's the thing that can occur, you're, you're aware of what, you know, what needs attention and what doesn't. Yeah. And, and yeah, just so many little things that, but, but I think I will still, so as much as I do overshare with potential new, you know, parents-to-be, I will still pull back. You don't share mm. everything because you don't want to scare them. Yeah. But at the same time, I think we have a responsibility to let mm. people know that it's that these things could potentially happen. So, you know, your doctor knew that there was a possibility that you could have this strong reaction. Mm. Why didn't he tell you that? Because yeah. then you could have been prepared. Exactly. Yeah, I agree completely. And... I think that desire to have a second child was strong enough that it overrode. Mm. Well, also, um, by the time you get to your obstetrician, you're already pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, we're in it now, honey. Yeah, exactly. So. But it just, it really surprised me that I, I typically think I'm pretty aware of my emotions, but it just, I will never forget that feeling of getting to the hospital and just looking at him with fear of just mm. feeling like, no, this isn't, this isn't how it's meant to go. Mm. Um, and yeah, had I... Had I maybe addressed or spoken more openly about my first birth story, I might have realised the ramifications that ha mm. that, that has. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's a really – I just think everyone that has the opportunity to talk about their birth story should, whether yeah. that be with your midwife or your doctor or your friend or your mum, whoever, um, because everybody's birth story is different and everybody's yeah. birth story deserves to be told. And, and heard. Mm. That's it. And we think that, you know, women give birth every day, blah, 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 but bugger that because mm. every birth is different and it's your own personal experience yeah. and you have the right to feel however you feel about that and be supported in that. Mm. So, And I think as well that, you know, look, when I had my first baby who's 16 and a half now, mm. But back then there were places like there were spaces where you could share your birth stories. Yeah. So there were lots of spaces where you know, you could write them and you could or you could read other people's birth stories, things like that. Mm -hmm. Whereas we don't, well, to my knowledge, well, we don't have that. We I certainly I couldn't find it when I was pregnant with my youngest. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and I think even like mothers groups. I think back to my mothers group that I went to with my first child, and it was much more about how is baby going. What are you going to do for baby? Are you going to breastfeed? Are you going to bottle feed? Are you going to do that? And I was so swept up in because my children were both bottle fed after um, 
you know, a fairly horrific attempt at breastfeeding. And I carried so much guilt with that, mm. so much guilt that I just now look and I think about me as this new mum. Again, I could get emotional. Um, this new mum that's just gone through this whole life-changing experience and all I can think about is how I'm not doing enough because yeah. I'm bottle feeding him. And I just think that's not what the focus should have been on. No. It should have been on how are you going, how was your experience, how are you feeling now. Mm. And that that saying of if mum's okay, baby's going to be okay mm. is just there's so much truth to that. And if mum's not doing okay, we really need to ask why. Yeah, and I think that definition of what's okay, mm. you know, I think we... Because all... to me, if my baby was okay, I was okay, but that's yeah. not true. That's no. Not, that's not realistic. If you're crying every time you're trying to feed your baby, oh, God, you need yeah. help, you mm-hmm. need support. And for partners as well, like, you know, God bless my husband, he's the beautiful, supportive space, but it's his first baby too. He yeah. doesn't know, and he doesn't know how I'm feeling. Mm. You know, it's just this whole new experience for everybody and um yeah having a a spot or a space like you were saying with your older daughter i think there's so much value to that Mm. and for you know but for all of that so you know i was because i do like i said i do overshare with um parents and i was talking to somebody who was saying that when she was feeding her baby she was like banging her foot on the floor Mm. to try and you know cause pain in her foot to take away from the immense pain that she was feeling in her boob yeah and, um, you know, and somebody else is in the room going, oh, yeah, it's hard, isn't it? And I'm like, oh, no, we need to, yeah. like, that's not normal. That's the conversation I had. Oh, yeah, it's hard, isn't it? It's difficult. Yeah. Yeah, whereas I can remember I can still feel it just my whole body yeah. lifting up going, I don't want to do this. Mm. And that's, you don't want to not I think there's a difference. Baby. No, there's a difference between going, you know what, for the first couple of days after mm. you have your baby, you are likely to experience some after pains. Mm. And so that's, you know, the uterus contracts as you're feeding. That is normal and it can really hurt for the first, you know, short amount of time, but that will go away. See, that just and doesn't, in my experience nine years ago, that's not what was happening. It was about ways to hold your baby and so everybody had a different way of holding yeah. the baby and it's just information overload. Yeah. Whereas if, yeah, if there are just tips, yeah. you know, just something to something that I don't have to think about, just going, yeah, look, that that is going to hurt, but this is why it's hurting. This is why it's hurting and this is when you should expect it to stop. Mm. Yeah. And when you're first feeding a baby for the first couple of days, it's going to hurt because your boobs aren't used to this. Yeah. And so, yes, you'll end up with cracked nipples, but you can use this cream or you can use exactly. nipple shields. Or... That's it. I've got enough other stuff that I'm trying to think about. Give yeah. Give me some solutions. Give me some solutions and tell me that there's an end in sight because yeah. if there's no end in sight, mm. then this is not going to go well yes. for anyone. <laughs> yeah. I try to do that now even when people are talking about their kids and it's this constant building block competition yeah. of, oh, we'll just wait till they're teenagers or just this, just that. That's not helpful. No. Please stop doing that. Yeah. <laughs> and especially to a new mum mm. who is so sleep deprived. Oh, like when you hear somebody who goes, yeah, you'll miss those cuddles when they're older. Oh. Well, maybe, but right now yeah. I want to be able to pee without a child in my arms. <laughs> that's right. So... <laughs> so could you tell me how to do that? Yeah. That'd be great. That's it. So perhaps give me a hint about how I can put them in a rocker yeah. so I can yes, exactly. put them down for three yeah. minutes and to manage to wee. guilty about that. I was chatting to a new mum the other day who was saying she felt so bad because she'd had to put her baby in the bouncer. I was like, what? That is good parenting. <laughs> you go to the toilet and your baby is safe. You are fine. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly. And it's just, it's really difficult. Uh, but you said before 
that you wish that you'd had more opportunity to talk to your obstetrician or talk to your midwife. Mm. What kind of things do you think that you would want, that you would have thought found to be useful to talk to them about? That's a good question. I think a bit like you were saying before in terms of give me a reason as to why this is happening and maybe something that I can try with mm. the breastfeeding. I think the same thing, you know, we go into um, our midwives or our doctors and we fill out the scales about how we're feeling. Mm -hmm. Not always an accurate reflection because we're thinking I don't want to come across as though I'm not coping, all of those kind of things. I think maybe if they'd been able to ask me some different questions, Mm -hmm. that might have spurred some conversation on. Because even now, nine years later, I can still burst into tears talking about breastfeeding my son who you know, is chews down a Big Mac quicker than <laughs> like clearly breastfeeding is not something that I'm worried about with him now, but that feeling is still so fresh in my mind. Yeah. And had those conversations maybe been started, mm. I think even gauging my reaction would have helped them. Yeah. Um, and it just doesn't feel like that's what really happened. So even just having your obstetrician um, or midwife say to you, how was your previous birth? Mm. Like, And I think often people look at the outcomes of it. Mm. So I remember when I had all three of my children going through the, you know, how many pregnancies have you had, mm. how many live births, how many live births have mm. you had? That was probably about as, and with, was it a natural birth or was it cesarean? Mm. That was probably as much as they asked much me. Detail. Yeah. Yeah. So there was nothing, there was no, take five minutes and sit down and tell me what happened. Mm. And, yeah, that's so true. And just, like I said, I can remember detail after detail of, of my son and my daughter's birth and you feel like you don't want to take up people's time sharing mm. that but had I I think my second birth could have been far different I could have been much more prepared I would have got to the hospital earlier mm. I wouldn't have felt like I was bothering people um, and it would have I needed to know in myself that that is a trait that I have mm. I'm I like to be in a controlled environment and not be apologetic for that whereas mm. I should have had the confidence I was so passive in my births that I wish now if I could go back in time I would have said look this is what I need to make it feel okay for me yeah um, and I would have you know you get that call oh you ring the midwife and it's like no you're not ready yeah you're not ready whereas if I'd been able to have a plan with my obstetrician earlier I could have discussed that and how does that look and how can we make it so that I feel safe yeah because by the time I got to the hospital I did not feel safe Mm. And that's something I think now, why did I let myself lose that right? Everyone has that right to feel okay in that situation. Yeah. So, but there are only things that I can know with, with experience. Yeah. When I was pregnant with my first baby, I was working here at the time and we happened to have a midwife who was a um, student counsellor here. And she said to me, uh, and it stuck with me for this whole time, but she said to me, don't ever call a doctor, doctor call them by their first name. Don't ever put a doctor in a position of power over you. Mm. In that relationship, you're the person who has to make the decision. Mm. Don't put somebody else in that. Don't give somebody else your power. Mm. And it really stuck with me, and I still I use that now, and we spend um, we spend way too much time having to go and visit doctors. But I think that, that does it does really come in handy. Usually, yeah, because to, I automatically am on the back step. Like I yeah. don't waste their time. Their time is valuable, all of those things mm. that I think. But in that situation, I, I agree with you completely. If I had that mindset, I wonder how it would have gone. Mm. And I wonder how my relationship with my baby would have started out. Yeah. Mm. So 
with you saying that, what do you think? Um, what do you think you would have done differently? So when you said, you know, you would have gone and you would have asked for things so that you could, what do you think you would have asked for? I would have liked to have had a, more of a conversation around pain relief because for me, you know, each to their own and power to someone. And if that's something that is hugely important to you, I think absolutely power to you. But for me, I had no opposition to pain relief. Mm-hmm. And for that to all happen so quickly, my body just went into shock. I yeah. could barely hold my daughter because I was shaking so much yeah. afterwards. So I would have liked to have had a chat around how pain relief could look versus the first time that it happened. Um, and also for me, I wish that that conversation around my first birth had been brought up mm-hmm. because my son was stuck for so long mm. that I pushed for so long that I then had the tailbone injury. Yeah. Had I clicked with what that actually could mean for my second delivery, I could have had a conversation with them about how is that going to look yeah. and what can we do to prevent that happening again. Yeah. Um, so just little things like that, that who, as someone who's not medically trained, mm. I don't think I would have had the foresight to think about that. Yeah. So I think those things could have been really beneficial. Mm-hmm. And you said that you, um, you know, you were shaking so much you couldn't hold your baby. Mm. And then I think you mentioned that um, you didn't get much sleep after mm. she was born. Yeah, about five years. <laughs> <laughs> any day now, any day. <laughs> um, so how do you think that did impact the relationship that you had with her? hugely it's only I've only to be honest really this podcast is going to go in a direction I didn't think it was going to go if you don't want it to go there we can steer <laughs> no, it back I love, I love talking about myself <laughs> um, only recently I went and did um, hippy dippy but hypnotherapy for myself for anxiety and conversations that came up in that that really I didn't expect to gain anything from I realised how much guilt I carried around for probably six years, and she's still six, um, mm. with how I felt I was failing her mm. constantly. And um, that's not fair. That's not fair on me. It's not fair it's on not her. Fair, no. And she and I have got a beautiful relationship, and she's just she's just the best little mm. thing I've ever met. She's a firecracker. She's a total firecracker, <laughs> and she's everything that I want um, a little girl to have. But I just carried this guilt about why can't she sleep? What could I do to make her feel more settled? And as she's getting older, I'm realising a lot of these things are just... That's just her. Just her. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I just think I carried so much guilt unnecessarily. Mm. And sleep deprivation just doesn't allow you to see things clearly. Yeah. I think that mum guilt... It's just, it's universal. I don't know how we stop it, but I think it doesn't matter what you do, Mm. there's always mum guilt. So, you know, I certainly experienced it because I couldn't have a natural birth. Mm. And so you think, well, how can I fail at something that, like, literally that's what women are made to do and I can't do it. And that's the difficult thing too is when you're in the position and you carry that guilt, it's Mm. so heavy. Yeah. But for the outside people, I can look and just think, oh, I just think it's amazing that you were able to, that your body could have, three C-sections, you know, so if it's if you're not in that situation yourself, it's really easy to just go, yeah. oh, no, don't worry. Yeah. But that then takes that, like a bit like the birth story, that's your own story to hold and that guilt is your own feeling to process. Yeah, it's that's just it. how we process it. I don't know. And, whether we, and how do we give people space to be able to process mm. it? Because it's all well and good, as you say, that it's – the guilt doesn't serve a purpose. Mm. You know, feeling guilty because you couldn't breastfeed your children, feeling mm. guilty because you couldn't give birth naturally to your children. Mm. 
it doesn't serve anything, but it's still there. So it's still this society's message. And I had this, you know, great idea that I was going to be one of those mums that there's no way I was going to have any pain relief and I was going to all of that. And now I look at it and think, well, that's just insane. <laughs> like, why would you choose to go through that yeah. when there's all of these options available? Yeah. Like, what was I thinking? It was a long time ago. I was very young. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wasn't that young, but still. Um, you know, but we still, there's just this society's expectations mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter what you do, nobody can live up to them. Mm-hmm. Somebody actually said something recently that I thought was, I'm going to try and hold on to, that anytime I feel, every, anytime I feel guilty about something, anytime I start to have... Um, concerns about you know my body image or my you know ability to parent that kind of thing I need to remember that somewhere a rich white man is getting richer by my insecurities <laughs> so true and I need to just go oh, Do you know what so this is serving true. him and not me and <laughs> I need to let it go yes, <laughs> so take the money out of his pocket that's it yeah. and put it back into my self-esteem mm. bank so I'm going to try that yeah. so um but I just I don't know how we I don't know how else we stop this mum guilt I don't know but I must admit, if, speaking to this hypnotherapist, I honestly feel like she was the first person that asked me, mm. straight up asked me, do you feel guilty about yeah. your birth? Do you feel guilty that your daughter didn't sleep? And sob, I would just burst into tears. <laughs> and it's been the weirdest feeling, though, because I feel like that weight lifted Yeah. because I just thought, why am I feeling that way mm. who is that serving it's not serving me it's not serving her yeah um so i i just i harp on about this all the time you know you're saying that you'll you'll ask questions or overshare i've really become that person that harps on about tell me a story yeah me too <laughs> because it's just so true there's so mm. much value to it a shared story and a shared problem mm. um yeah it just serves such a good purpose yeah and yeah as, that's it it's just around creating that space for people mm. So, and then, so going on, your daughter didn't sleep for yeah, she quite some time. <laughs> when she was a newborn, she slept um, probably in about two, two and a half hour blocks. But then it was that, I don't want to get sued, but there's an app that tells you about growth spurts that your children grow through. Oh, uh, yeah. And so I kept looking, and for some people it works amazingly, and I kept looking thinking, right, well, the next one she'll sleep, mm. the next one she'll sleep. And she didn't. And she just, <laughs> even when she got to kindy, we were like, this is it. This is going to tire her out. She'll sleep. And she still doesn't. Yeah. She'll still pop her head in during the middle of the night and just be like, oh, what are you doing? Like, go back to bed. Why so, are you not asleep? <laughs> that's right. And I met another school mum who um, I think that also helped as well, again, with the shared story. Yeah. But her daughter was a couple of years older and just going, oh, no, she doesn't sleep. Yeah. Like, that's just that's just her. Yeah. I've taken her to paediatricians. I've taken her to psychs, all these different things. Yeah. No, that's just her. And yeah. that shared story just mm. made me go, oh, maybe it's not something that I'm doing. Yeah. So When I had my first, um, she lulled me into a total false sense of security. Yes, you know, so did mine. My first slept through the night. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Books. Yeah, had him on some stupid timetable that didn't it didn't make any difference. He no. just was going to sleep. Yeah, but I didn't know that, so yeah. I thought I was a great parent. <laughs> like I was rocking it. By five weeks old, she was sleeping through the night. Oh, yeah, oh, six so, weeks old, she was sleeping through the night. Yeah. And I think my mum and sister, who were far more experienced at mothering, must have just been laughing at me when I would say, "No, he's just on a routine." I didn't have the routine, but my goodness, she could sleep. Yeah, and she would sleep anywhere. But could she still sleep now? Yes. Same with my son. Yeah. And like a she was the kid who, you know, we'd be out somewhere and at six o'clock she'd be saying to us, uh, Mommy, I need to go home yeah. because it's my bedtime <laughs> at seven o'clock. And, and even now, she's 16, 
but she's not a teenager that stays up all night. Mm. Like she will be at nine o'clock, she's coming in to say goodnight, yeah. and by nine thirty, she's asleep. Yeah. I honestly <laughs> like, truly believe we're born with our personalities. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I just don't think it's our job to change them. But when it's sleep involved, it comes to sleep, I don't know. Yeah, well, I remember somebody saying to me, you know, because um, my second child, my son was, he was a, a challenging child, <laughs> we'll say. I remember somebody saying to me who had experienced similar things. She said, you know, I love my children when they're awake, but at night time I just stand in the door and I just top up my love tank, just, you know, I remember saying the same, you know, I love my children when they're awake. I just love them that little bit more when they're sleeping, which is hard when he won't go yeah. to sleep. <laughs> You're making this really difficult. That's it. My love tank is getting very empty. Do you still do that now, though, Is this, um, you know, with a 16-year-old? Do you look at her when she sleeps? I do. Yeah, I yeah. see. I was thinking that the other night as I was watching my son and I thought, I wonder how long I'll yeah. want to do that for. I think it's creepy if I break into their house when they're 27 and I'm still doing it. But, uh, but at the moment, yeah, yeah I'm still I just going. Yeah, to watch you sleep. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I um, Yeah, I still do that. I still mm. watch my kids sleep. Yeah. Just... And I do find it does help top mm. up the love tank. Yeah. And it helps a lot when they're actually sleeping in order to be able to yeah. top it up. Yeah. Mm. But how did you find that the lack of sleep, do you think that that added to the guilt? Do you think that added mm. to your... Big time. You know, I think the capacity that, to function was that impacted. Yes, hugely. And because you've got different streams of guilt then, because you've got um, my son as well. Mm. So I have that feeling that every parent that has multiple kids starts to have is, am I showing them enough love? Um, we had all this one-on-one time mm. together that we don't have now. Um, and I look at it. I look at me prior to children now and go, oh, I totally was riddled with anxiety but just had enough distractions to get on with it and not spend the time to work on that side of my mental health. But the sleep deprivation just kicked into another gear. Like I've probably told the story before that I – this is going to sound a bit morbid – I remember saying to my husband that you're going to need to take her to a hairdresser if she starts school if I'm not – around because I was convinced that I was going to get sick and not be there to watch my kids grow up because you can't do her hair like that. So like the the biggest concern that you have is if you die and you're not there to parent them, somebody needs to look after that child's appearance because I don't think you've got it in you, you honey. (laughs) Um, And just things like that, that now I think, why did I not, why was that not a flag in myself? But luckily it was a flag for him. But just I fronted up at the doctor's surgery at, you know, 8 o'clock at night saying I'm having a heart attack. And the, mm. the lovely doctor said to me, I think you might be having a panic attack. And then he actually was the one that said to me, how much sleep are you getting? Yeah. And that's when it spiraled from there and I just burst into tears. And um, luckily he was a lovely, great doctor that cared and put me on the right track to talk to people about how that works. And to stop, again, this guilt of um, accepting help. Mm. So we then put a bit of a plan in place that, she would go, my kids would have a sleepover at my mum's, which I'm so fortunate to have, but just to get that sleep bank built back up yeah. because you just, you can only function on next to nothing for so long before mm-hmm. the wheels fall off the car. Yeah, and that's it. Like we have this, I don't know what it is, but for some reason we have this thing that I need to keep going mm-hmm. and I need to be superwoman and I need to do everything. Other people can do this, why can't I? Yeah. yeah. And we're comparing ourselves. We know we compare our reality to the glossy version that people put on social media. Yeah, disclaimer, no one else can do it perfectly. Yeah, no, exactly mm-hmm. that. Nobody else is super mum either. And, you know, I, I juggle quite a few things and people, are, you know, people go, oh, you know, you're superwoman. 
no, I'm really, really, really not. And it's not helpful for anybody to think yeah. that. It's not helpful for me to think it and it's not helpful for that to be yeah. a comparison. Like well, I can't clean. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you gave me that analogy that, you know, like they're all um, you're juggling balls, some are glass yeah. balls, some are plastic. And, mm. and people need to realise that, that in order for what you might see on the outside as happening and everything's great and look at this amazing life I've got, there's other stuff that has to stop in the yeah. background for that to work. So like you say, at the moment, if I even think about the state that my house is in, mm. I just can't. But so that has fallen off because coming to work is my priority. And yeah. so, you know, like it's the same with having children. There's priorities and there's things that can just wait. Yeah, but you know what shouldn't wait? Sleep. Mm -hmm. So if, you're, <laughs> if your baby is sleeping, sleep. Yeah. And I, mean, and I got so stuck in that whole thing of, oh, why would people say that? Well, I need to get the cleaning done. No, I don't. No, you don't. No. No, I often tell new mums. So mm -hmm. wherever your level of, uh, you know, wherever your level of cleanliness is at the moment, or where, <laughs> we just need to drop it down a couple of notches and, and then drop it down yeah. again <laughs> and one more time. Yeah. And depending on where you're at, you may need to go for a fourth time as mm -hmm. well. And then maybe when they get to about 18, you can start thinking about bringing it back up <laughs> again. Sense, I think, when are they going to start picking their stuff up? But I read it's, something today that was about, you know, rules for being a teenager and one of it, it was things like um, if you fold a towel in exactly the right way, it will stay wet forever. <laughs> or, you know, um, tips to using a laundry hamper, drop your clothes next to it and those kinds of things. So, you know what, I'm very nearly 40 and I'm guilty of some yeah. of those things <laughs> on that list because it's just, I just, I think that. The only thing that, you know, as experience is what teaches us, isn't it? So, mm. you know, hindsight's great, but mm. hindsight means going back knowing what you knew then. Yeah. So we don't get afforded the opportunity to go back knowing what we know now. And as my kids get older, I'm realising, oh, you know what, they'll be fine and they'll get through this. And then I wish that I could have a way to share that with new mums mm. that it will be okay. Yeah. And this stage you're going through now is really bloody difficult. Mm. And if someone offers to help, accept it. Yeah. And also ask for ask it. Ask for it. I know it sucks having to ask mm. for it, but those friends that send you that lovely, let me know if there's anything I can do. Don't be afraid to say, can you come and sit here for an hour and I just need to sleep? A hundred percent. The other thing is if you're the friend that's sending the message that says, don't be afraid to ask for anything, know that people often won't ask. Exactly. So don't say, hey, if there's anything you need, Drop around a basket mm. of groceries. Mm. Go and say, right, I'm here. I'm holding the baby. Yeah. It's my turn to hold the baby. Go and have a shower. Yeah. Or what load of laundry needs to go on? Mm -hmm. That kind. Of, so yeah. go and actually say, I'm here to help. This is what I've come to do. Yeah. Because if you go, you know, if there's anything you need, let me know. 90% mm. of the time people aren't. And I've just pulled that statistic out of nowhere. <laughs> but, you know, in my experience. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly right. <laughs> Um, you know, but people often won't ask for help. But mm. if you go around and say, right, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. And go, on oh, that okay. as well, I think that we need to recreate that village or that sisterhood mm. of stop worrying about if your friends come over and there's a basket of washing there or if your house looks like it's lived in. Because guess what? Yeah. People live in your house and that's okay. Well, I see that as my public service. Yeah. So my house, um, you know, I used to joke that I have chaos, which is can't have anyone over syndrome. Oh, I yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. Because I was so worried about the yeah. state of my house and yeah. I can't get my house to the state of cleanliness or tidiness that I want to in order to be able to have people over. So, you know what, actually, this is my public service of saying that my life is not Instagram ready. My life is not filled with shiny white surfaces and beautiful marble and all of those kinds of things. My life is filled with 
there's a cardboard box that one of the dogs has destroyed yeah. and there's dog hair because we can only vacuum so many times yeah. a day <laughs> and, you know, the kids don't put their washing in the hamper and there's often dishes on the, you know, if you yeah. can see the kitchen bench, then that's a miracle. Yes. I had a friend pop in the other day and I almost went to apologise because I hadn't packed the dishwasher and then I thought, no, because by doing that, I'm also letting her, it's okay, know that it's okay if I turn up at her house yeah. and it's not spotless. Yeah. But so when I haven't had time to pack the dishwasher, I've also been doing four million other things, mm. and that's life, and that's okay. Yeah. And I, I really, that's something that I strongly, strongly believe in as a new mum. Just you gotta let that go. You've mm. gotta just what how you think back to or not think back, but what houses do you feel welcoming when you walk in? You know, you walk into your parents' house and you feel like you're at home. Yeah. Or you've got that one friend that just goes, "No, stuff it. This is my house. Mm. Like it or not." That, they're the places you're going to feel most comfortable. Yeah, not the ones where you're too afraid to walk. It's like, should I take my shoes yeah. off? How do I ask if I should take my shoes yeah. off? Oh, I don't feel comfortable here. And where do I put my mug? Yeah, so just drop all of that. And I wish, I feel if I had have done that, my, you know, time at home with my babies and my postnatal anxiety and all those kind of things would have lessened mm. a lot and I would have enjoyed that time a bit more. So what did postnatal anxiety feel like for you, look like for you? Um it went from feeling like just a bit overly cautious or think like thinking a bit much to again this is probably a bit heavy but sitting around the dining table thinking about what's going to happen if I'm not here mm -hmm. um, and not being I really clearly remember not being able to take in the conversation between my husband and my kids because my heart was just racing mm -hmm. and just a total lack of control and googling because mine's health based. So I would Google things like oh, 50 times a day minimum about this pain or that or what, yeah. what might be happening with my baby, does that mean this? Um, things like SIDS I would be constantly fixated on mm -hmm. and it's not until that fog lifts that I can see how heavy that was mm -hmm. and how much that was um, weighing me down. And you make light of that now. You know, mm -hmm. you'll turn I mean, now that fog's lifted though. Yeah. But the other thing that I did is I didn't give people around me the opportunity to know that that's what was happening. Mm. I really carried a lot of that internally mm. and I think that's why I got to the point where I just went, you need to watch the kids, I'm going to the doctor. And it, I look at that now and just think how sad for me and for my husband and for my kids that that's where it had to get to because had I known the impact that a conversation would have had earlier, I would have done it. But, you you know, sometimes you just can't know the impact. You can't. That's exactly right. But sometimes when you have that conversation, I think there are people who, who try. You were exceptionally lucky that you had a GP mm. that was onto it yeah, and that could actually identify that and, and normalised it for yeah. you and, you know, broke that down into how much sleep are you getting mm. and, you know, I think this is actually... So lucky. So lucky. I think... If there's people out there, you know, if you do go to your GP and you find that it's the GP that goes, you know, because we hear it all the time, well, babies don't sleep, well, sleep deprivation is normal. That's right. You think about how many GPs I would have been to mm. prior to that night. Yeah. For checks for the babies, checks for the toddler, and after checks for me. Yeah. And never. So it's not, and so if go again, mm -hmm. you know, keep just going keep going until, until, until you get help. And. You know, I've been the mum who's been who's been labelled as a helicopter parent mm. or neurotic, you know, um, perhaps I need medication because I'm neurotic over mm. whatever it is. But keep going until you can find somebody who, who says to you, you know what, this is a safe space yeah. and I'm gonna I'm gonna make this okay for you. Yeah. So in 100%. whatever way that looks like. Exactly. And I think 
I can only make light of it now and laugh about it now because I'm on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like I have this little mission inside of me to just make sure that new mums and new dads know exactly like you're saying, keep talking until someone listens. Mm. And it sucks that you have to do that, that the first person you get might not listen. But keep talking because it doesn't have to feel so heavy and so you don't have to have that feeling of dread. It's not how it has to be. It's really not. Mm. And, geez, that's not what we want our experience of parenthood to feel like, Mm. is it? Mm. I think as well if you're a friend and you can see that you can see that one of your friends is struggling, actually ask them. Yeah. And we were just talking about um, Are You OK Day the other week, mm. and that's the exact thing about how do you ask someone that. It sounds stupid, but it's as simple as asking them. Yeah. Because, um, you know, fear is a natural um, reaction that we all have. We live with. We're meant to have it. It means our bodies are doing what they're supposed to do, that we have that level of caution. But don't be afraid to ask that question. Mm. Yeah. Because... Like I say, that doctor saying to me, how much sleep are you getting? That just unraveled the whole thing. And yeah. thank God he did. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Because he could be in a very different situation mm-hmm. now. Yeah. I think as well that it's really important to, it's, you don't want to alarm people, but to actually say to a friend mm-hmm. or, you know, your wife or a loved one or whatever, daughter, sister, auntie, next door neighbour, whatever that is, mm-hmm. but hey, you know what, maybe it's time to maybe it's time to go and see a doctor. Yeah. Maybe it's time to go and ask for some extra help. Exactly. And you'd rather do that at a point sooner than later, you know. Mm. Like if you get to 18 months down the track, like I did, I just think oh, I wish that I had of just no one to talk about it or had someone ask me. Yeah. Because if you're, if you're like I was, which to be honest I think most people are, you become quite good at hiding oh, what it is 100%. that's going on. Yeah. And, you know, you might tell 10% of the story. So every so often if I'd, you're say, lucky. I'd yeah. say to my husband, oh, what if this? And he'd say, oh, you know, but and like put a positive spin on it. But he's not to know that the other 90% of the time yeah. my brain is consumed with that. Yeah. So I think if someone had have asked the question, um, even if they just thought, oh, I could be, I could be overacting mm. a little bit but I'm going to ask, it's very it's very valuable and I think that yeah. that shakes you into a reality that um, otherwise you're just stuck under that fog of cloud thinking, yeah. no, it's okay, tomorrow will be better. Yeah. Um, but yes. Or every parent worries about their child. Every yes. parent worries what happens if I'm not here. Yes. So this and, is normal. And also there's parents that have got it so much worse than I do. I'm oh. so fortunate. What about single parents? What about parents um, with, you know, children that have health issues? I don't have the right to feel this way okay so i'm likely to get on the soapbox i'm going to try and pull myself back people have that and i just think we don't that's not what it's about no it's really Mm -hmm. not and also just because somebody has it harder than you Mm -hmm. doesn't make it what you're going through any less hard yeah and we need to put that on signs everywhere on Mm t-shirts honestly it just it's not a competition i think you said that before it's not a competition of going like i remember somebody saying to me little boys little problems big boys big problems they still say Oh, yeah, and <laughs> why? What? What? What do you think you're going to achieve all by you're that? Doing is is making that person feel like there is no end in sight. Yeah. This. Well, not only that, but you're going. Do you know what? This feels really big for me at the moment, mm. and I've just been told by somebody that actually what I'm experiencing doesn't warrant mm. the way that I'm you feeling. Diminished how I'm feeling. You cannot feel wrong. Yeah. So, and I'm sure there's a better way to put that, but 
you can't experience wrong emotions. Whatever you're feeling is okay. If you're struggling, ask for help. But we don't don't do that. But don't help somebody by trying to diminish it and going, well, wait till they're teenagers. Yeah, that's right. Because if you think you've got problems now. <laughs> yeah. And I think when I've gone to the medical appointments for both of my children, um, I definitely carried that in that, like, well, I'm here to, I, I need to make sure the babies are okay. Yeah. So it just, it didn't feel like I, not that anyone made me feel that way, but I didn't really feel like I had the right to go, look, I'm, I don't know what it is I'm feeling, but mm. I just feel off. Yeah. Because, you know, I've got these healthy, beautiful babies yeah. and aren't I lucky and, you know, rah, rah, rah. So yeah. even if you can't figure out what it is that feels off, mm. even saying that, like if we have people come into our centre that say, I don't know what it is, I just feel a bit off. Yeah. There's amazing people that can help. They really can ask are. the questions to help you figure out what it is that's yeah. going on. Yeah. And that's it. You don't have to be able to put a label on no. it. And it I, doesn't even, I wouldn't have been able to. And it doesn't need a label. Mm. I know for some people they find labels really useful, but for other people not so much. Mm. It doesn't need a label. It can just be this is feeling really tricky at the moment and I'd like it not to feel as tricky as yeah, this. Exactly. So uh, now I know that you have to go and pick up your children, <laughs> so we're going to wrap this up. So two things. Firstly is that... Um, you very briefly shared your birth stories. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> uh, we are trying to create a space where people can do that as well. So if people who are listening, if you would like to write your birth story or record it or, um, you know, do a voice recording or a face recording or just type it out, then feel free to send that through to info at whws.org.au yep. and we'll make sure that we can collate all of those and have a space where we can have birth Maybe certificates. I'll type mine out so you can get all the gruesome out. <gasps> yes, please do. <laughs> Um, I'm just writing down, don't forget to add birth stories to the show notes. Um, and is there anything else that you would like to share before we finish up? Um, I think like I briefly touched on, something changed in me as I started to feel better as my daughter got a bit older and my personality has gone from someone that just would be quite private to now someone that is talks about their birth story on air. <laughs> People are literally all over the world to hear. Thanks, Kate. You're welcome. Um, to now someone that is willing to talk about my situation and ask questions of other people because I truly believe that it does help. Mm. And so I guess I'll just jump on my soapbox a bit for a second and ask people to do the same thing as well, is don't be afraid to share either how you're feeling or your experience before because mm. We learn from our elders and the way that they've lived through things. And I think if you can share that for other people, yeah, um, it can just really help. Yeah, I agree 100%. I think normalising. Normalising, that's the word. Yeah. yeah. I think share, those shared experiences and there are stories that do need to be told. There are stories that need mm. to be heard. There are experiences. We, we don't have to do it all ourselves. Mm. So, you know, we don't have to make the mistakes ourselves. We can learn from yeah. other people's experiences yeah. and, um but really, I think feeling isolated, feeling like you're the only person who has ever sat down and thought, if I die, mm. somebody else needs to do my daughter's hair. Mm. Like as much as we like can I say, I laugh about it, laugh now, about it that, now. That I spent too much time yeah. thinking about things like that. But how isolating to think, well, I'm the only person that's, that's experiencing this. Mm. I've got nobody else to talk to about it. It's mm. really empowering for other people who are going through something similar but they're keeping it behind closed doors, mm -hmm. it's really empowering for them to hear that actually 
this I'm not alone in mm. this. Other people have experienced this before and you know, they've experienced it for, you know, there are multiple women who have experienced it over the past 50 years yeah. who have done it l- longer. Um, so to know that you're not alone and that you do have a beautiful relationship mm. with your daughter and she's now six and you're not still in that mm. hole. Exactly. You don't have to sit in that hole forever. And we've talked about the feelings and that you're not alone, but I suppose the practicalities of that as well in go and chat to your GP, mm. go and keep chatting to GPs until you find someone who will listen. Or, you know, I like to offer, like we were saying before about the solution of where yeah. do you go to, and I suppose the GP is probably a starting point or your child health nurses. Yeah, and I will actually often say to people when they'll call up here, have you been and had blood tests done? Mm. You know, before, like, I think we're with people, particularly in the perinatal period, we're very quick to go, oh, well, okay, post-natal anxiety, post-natal depression. Yeah. Sometimes it can be as, sim- as simple, but, you know, sometimes it can be really low iron mm. or really low B12 or something so like that, that. And it's just practical, useful information. Yeah. And I think... Go and get, go get a checkup. Go, yeah. Get all of that done yeah. and then, you know, while you're waiting for that, call, see about accessing yeah. some additional supports as well. And if you're like I was in that period, you'll build that conversation up in your head a 100 times before you mm-hmm. actually go to the doctor. But just don't worry about it. Just get in there, rip the bandaid off. It's 30 seconds of you saying, I'm not feeling great. Can you do some blood tests and yeah. tell me what's going on? And yeah. then you're done. That's it. You've done the hardest part. Yeah, that's it. And as you say, I think that you don't have to do this alone and a really good starting point is your GP. Yeah, and keep going until you find a good one. That's it. There's got to be some good ones out there, right? There's plenty. You might even find the one that helped me. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much for giving up your afternoon to come and record this with me, Kate. I really, really appreciate it. (laughs) And, um, yeah, we will put in the show notes about where people can send through their birth stories. Uh, And thank you very much for all of your time today. For joining me for today's episode of A Hidden World of Women, a podcast brought to you by Women's Health and Wellbeing Services. For more information on the services we offer, head to whws.org.au or Women's Health and Wellbeing Services on YouTube and social media. Looking forward to the next episode where we uncover the hidden world of women.